Are you passionate about blueberries and want to take an active role in making them the world's favorite fruit? Well, you might be the perfect fit for USHBC's newly launched Blueberry Industry Leadership Program. Applications are now open through April 11th. Visit ushbc.org leadership to learn more and see if this program is right for you. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. It was so great to see so many of you at our spring meetings in Tampa a few weeks ago. It was so much fun to reconnect and reconvene as an industry. I certainly took a lot away from that event, and I'm hearing the same from many of our attendees. Like we've done in the past on this podcast, I thought it would be good to pull a few highlights from the event to share with our audience, with all of you, especially those of you who weren't able to attend. So today you're going to hear some of those highlights from our flavor panel that was moderated by Grant Prentice from Food Minds. And you're going to hear from both Gonzalo Deli's All Day of Driscoll's and Dr. Patricio Munoz of the Blueberry Breeding and Genomics Lab at the University of Florida. We'll start this episode with Gonzalo who is the Blueberry Product Leader Senior Director at Driscoll's. He does a good job of setting the scene for us and how the evolution of blueberries is leading us to this focus on flavor. So the blueberry industry grew significantly in the last decade or 15 years. So we started with 2011 with less than 500 million pounds evolving to almost 800 and a half million pounds this last season. This is fresh volume only sold within the US and Canada market, so the North American market. So we know what the trend is, and we have a very good sense on where things are going. But I think what is also changing is the commoditization of our market and the opportunity that we have as an industry to tap into more consumers, into more households, and to increase that velocity in the future, which is what we will need to defend our prices, defend the, the growers at profitability and, and margins in their business, but most importantly, delight consumers and provide a good eating experience that each clamshell sells the next clamshell. And there are certain times of the year that, that, that is something that is, it could be very much discussed, right? And we're going to see a little bit, I'm going to show some, some headlines from consumer feedback that that is what we're hearing from consumers, that we're putting more products in the shelf, the product is, is moving, so we're increasing that pipe, but that delightful experience and those consumers wanting to go for more, I think we, we have an opportunity as an industry to really get better. And it's a real opportunity. We see it in not just with berries, but with other products in, in the produce aisle as well. I mean, one clear example is within the Sumo Citrus with tomatoes has been the first one or one of the first ones 
that have been tapping into this opportunity. And it's clear for us, and we've seen it with our, with our other berries, that this is a, a clear way to go when you are starting to get into a commoditized situation within the industry. So what is the opportunity, right? So strawberries has been, has been for a long time already the number one consumption product within the berry patch with around, I mean, has been stable within the 70% household penetration. Blueberries right now, we are, I, mean, I think we ended up last year around 50%, which is a steep higher number than what it has been in the past. But what we're seeing is, is the trend. Strawberries that is flat and blueberries is like, it's going up and up and up and it's only going to keep going up, right? So this is a projection. This is, a, this is I mean, we don't have a crystal ball, so we don't know exactly when, when this is gonna happen. But we truly believe that blueberries are going to surpass strawberries as the number one product within the berry category in terms of consumption and in terms of revenue at the retail store. That is a huge opportunity that we have as an industry. So some consumer feedback. Here I'm going to just read over just a few, few highlights. It's like only one out of three shoppers buying blueberries in the Netherlands is satisfied about taste. And in Germany, this is only one out of five. This is not just US specific, but like, I think if we run a survey in US, it, it could be pretty, pretty similar situation. There's only one, one direction for blueberry consumption and it's up. And I think we, we already proved that we can do that. And, and, and I think this is only going to continue happening. And cultivars, it's one of the keys to, to get this, this unlocked. And, and breeding for flavor is, is something critical that we know that it's, it's proven that it drives profitability, it drives velocity, and it drives demand. We'll have many more highlights to share from this flavor panel, but before we go any further, let's take a quick break for our crop report. The North American season is well underway as we inch closer to the summer and the peak season for our domestic industry. We're welcoming more and more regions onto our report. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Brandon Wade in Georgia, Luis Vegas in Peru, and Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on March 30th, 2022. The crop is progressing pretty well here in Georgia. Uh, we have some blue fruit on our earliest varieties that's beginning to get to the level of needing to be picked. It's not a significant amount, but it's there. We're estimating that it's two or three weeks away from really getting into some of the other varieties or more of the bulk of the crop. Some of the general consensus is that we could probably expect a 40% of the crop that we expected to have to be the reality. Uh, there's still some figures, still a few things that we need to work out in terms of crop insurance on whether fields get zeroed. So we may end up with less than that amount. You may end up with a little bit more than that amount of the 40% prediction. Uh, we have to see what happens with crop insurance. And then also we'll have to watch the quality of this fruit as it comes in, having undergone two fairly significant weather events, freeze events. Uh, there's undoubtedly a lot of damage in the field. And so we're still not certain what kind of percentage of damage is going to have to be taken out in the packing house. So things are going well. Uh, the, but the 
harvest crop is going to be a little bit delayed from where we originally thought due to the freeze. And then also the rabbit eye crop, the late season fruit out of Georgia is going to be tough to get any of that into the fresh market, I would think, just due to the delay that we experienced from all of the early bloom burns on this last freeze event. So our frozen side may not get that affected as far as volume, but I think our fresh side on, on late season fruit will be affected. I don't have a percentage for that. Um, I think rabbit eye on the whole is probably 40% down or, you know, 60% of what we expected remaining, but we'll continue to find out more as we move forward and as some of these other issues, the quality and the insurance issues come to light. Hi, everyone. Here my report for the 11th week of 2022 on the Mexican blueberries exportation. This week we exported a total volume of 7 million and 600,000 pounds to all the world. From this volume, 1 million and 200,000 pounds were organic blueberries. Our organic exportations grow 30% respect the same period for the last season. The frozen volumes fall around 30% with 40,000 pounds this week. And Mexico represents only 4% of the total frozen blueberries imported by the USA. For the full season, we have exported 83 million and 900,000 pounds to all the world. That's all in my report. Hope to see you next week. Good morning. This is Luis with the crop report from Peru up until the end of week 12, which is the week ending on March 27. So up until week 12 of season 21-22, Peru has shipped a total of 488.7 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide, representing a growth of 37% in volume versus season 2020-2021. From this overall volume, 55% has been shipped to the US. What happened during week 12? Uh, well, a total of 833,000 pounds of fresh blueberries were shipped from Peru. 78% of this volume was shipped to the US with 651,000 pounds, which are expected to arrive the US market during mid-April. So that's the report from Peru. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to our busy growers and area representatives who take the time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We have added a lot more features to this dashboard, including a USDA shipping price and movement report, including a retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales report, and much, much more. So make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Let's get back to our highlights from our flavor panel there at Tampa. I'm going to take you back to Gonzalo's comments where he shares some of the current market dynamics between price and flavor. We have one, one critical example within, within our company, which is the sweetest batch blueberries. I mean, five years ago, we didn't have a lot of um, certainty that we were going to able to achieve a price premium for a differentiated product, but now we have clarity, we have certainty. It is not just us that it's doing this. And actually, you could argue that Driscoll's was not the first one arriving into this space, but we're probably the most recognized that is doing this with our Swedish badge. But I think 
the intention is not just to have a, a premium segment to offer into the consumers that are willing to pay for more, but I think it's elevating the entire industry and the, the entire eating experience of every blueberry that is eating what is going to help us as an industry to be better in the future. Because, I mean, competition is, is not just within ourselves or within our other berries. It's, it's within the, the dollars that the, con the consumers have to spend in the retail store. It is about shelf space for the retailers. So it's like we need to keep competing and, and going this route. So just a showcase on, on, on Swedish Batch. So we have our regular labels, just conventional and organics for the four berries, strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, and blueberries. And we also have a berry batch offer for the four berries. And again, it's like it's clear that this drives the right behavior for growers because it puts the right incentives to drive the right behavior. And it's truly a, a really good tool to enhance the eating experience for everyone. I think it's very important to note, and I would encourage everyone. It's like I think it's one of the ways to to really defend our, I mean, our future and, and keep growing as an industry is, is focusing in, in, in the right flavorful varieties. And we don't really know how things are going to be in the future, but for sure, is we're going to have more blueberries and we're going to have more competition. And if we reflect back to see how things started with blueberries. I mean, everything started in, in the summer, right? The summer in the Northeast with high chill varieties. And we have a strong production peak within that, that time frame with product with some point, in some cases is, is very, I mean, it could be a, a good delightful product that has good quality, but the reality is that the breeding programs for the no, no chill and low chill varieties go so fast and there is a lot of private investment coming into that space, but the velocity of change in that area is just so rapid that the overall quality offering and flavor offering from the fall and the spring is only going to get better. Putting the summer in a tough situation, these are conversations that we have internally and, and we are very open with our growers and we work with our growers that are, that are in the Pacific Northwest, which we, we are very aligned with them. Like we need to be creative in, in how we approach this situation because we need to, we need to make moves and, and, and acknowledge that sometimes the breeding programs don't move at a rate where we need them to be, right, in the, in the high chill environment. But I think having a differentiated offering is going to be critical and, and that's what we're working towards. Last, I want to show an example for blackberries, I mean, we, we came out with a blackberries Swedish batch in the last few years. This is relatively new. And we ran a pilot with one of our biggest customers, and these are the results that they share with us. So we ran, ran it over six months in, in a certain uh, specific uh, retail stores for them. We stopped the regular conventional offering for blackberries, and sales got increased by 55% year over year with almost 70,000 new customers, new retail customers. So, I mean, at the end, like consumers buying into, into the category. 42% of those came back and purchased more. Okay. So these were people that in the past didn't buy blackberries because they found it like too irregular, sometimes too sour. I mean, my wife is one of those consumers. It's like, I, I still have a very hard time 
getting her to eat blackberries because he, she doesn't believe that they change. I was like, okay, things change so quickly. And this is one example, one clear example that like, things change so quickly and can change so quickly and will keep changing so quickly that we can, there, there's a huge opportunity of bringing new consumers into the category. But once they are there, it's like what we need to do in order to keep them coming and to buy more and more from our product, I think flavor is the right way to go. Now we're going to shift gears to Dr. Patricio Munoz, blueberry breeder there at the University of Florida. For many years, breeding programs have focused on developing traits to help growers. But he says shifting towards a focus on flavor is not quite as straightforward. So what is happening with flavor in this area if plant breeding works? Well, flavor is a lot more complex. And that's the issue. Not only the physical chemical characteristics of the fruit that actually we can measure, but also all the psychological experience that you have, you know, your culture, the knowledge that you have on the fruit is going to affect how do you see and how do you perceive the fruit. For example, if you don't believe me, think about that special food that your grandma made for you. And that right now is eliciting some you know, sensory in your brain, you know? And then if I give you the same dish that somebody else prepared, it's never gonna be as good <laughs> as your grandma's, right? So that's the psychological part of the food that you are eating. But here we are to talk about the fruit part, okay? And now where flavor can, we have all these components, taste, sound, appearance, texture, and aroma. And I can argue, you know, in one point, once the variety is commercial, in reality, the appearance is not that important. And I have data to prove that. But let's focus only in what we are here to talk today. We're going to define flavor in a simpler way. It's going to be the taste, basically the sensors that you have in your mouth, in your tongue, that can taste sweet, sour, salty, uh, bitter, and umami, plus the aroma. Aroma, the brain can detect it in two different ways. Ortonasal, when you grab a blue uh, strawberry, for example, and you smell it, right? Or retronasal, when actually you are chewing the fruit and you are breaking it apart. And in that moment, you know, some of the chemical components of the food or the fruit that you are eating get released and go from the back of your mouth to the same sensors, you know, in the brain. Have you smelled a blueberry? They don't smell, right? So in this case, in the case of blueberries, these chemical compounds, they get sensed retronasal, actually when you are chewing the fruit. Now, this aroma that I'm talking about, in reality, technically, we call it volatile organic compounds. What are those? Just a bunch of chemical naturally occurring compounds in blueberry fruit. And this, compounds define basically what experience you're having with the food or the blueberries. And it could be an amazing experience or it could be a very poor one. Now, obviously, we have the texture and all these other characteristics, but let's just focus on flavor in this simple, defined way. But what we did here is actually something that breeders for a long time been able to detect that some blueberries, you can actually sense something different. They have an aroma that actually you can sense because most of these other chemical compounds are going to be there as enhancers 
or deterrence of, you know, the different flavors that already exist. But there is some chemical compounds that you can sense whenever you are shooting the fruit through this retronasal sensing that I was referring to you before. So we grab a bunch of blueberries with those characteristics, with aroma-like. And what do we refer to like aroma? Fruity aromas, floral aromas, and then tea-like aromas. You know? And then we do actually have a blueberry variety that was released by the breeding program that has these components. And then if you have taste kestrel, which is one of our varieties, it's very light around the globe. Everywhere I go, you know, they really like this blueberry. And most people say this is very sweet. It's not very sweet in reality. It just have special chemical compounds that makes it taste like that. So we grab a bunch of these type of blueberries and also some normal blueberries, and we gave them to consumer panels. And then we ask the question, can they detect them, these special blueberries? And the answer was yes, they can. So that's first thing, very good, we are going in the right direction. But the second question then was, is logical, the second question is like, do they like them better? And the answer is yes, they like them better. Then, turn out then to my lab, not just to the panel, and say, okay, can we identify which chemical compounds are the ones eliciting this sensing in consumers? And yes, we can identify them, and they're ones with a bunch of terpenes that produce these compounds. And finally, we can also find out which genes are related to these chemical compounds, so we can do the work that we do better. So why does this matter to you? And I think already Gonzalo brought this to the table, right? Mm -hmm. Consumer liking fruit quality is important. This is another study that we just carried last year, again, with consumer panels. And this is 300 people in the consumer panel. Asking the question is like, are you willing to pay more? And for a bunch of different, in this case, these are 20 different blueberry cultivars. And people is willing to pay more when they like the experience that they are having with the fruit. And that was reflected, again, by what Gonzalo was just uh, presenting. So, the question is, people is willing to pay more. Are you willing to plant these better cultivars, actually, for people to experience them? Now, that's from the point of view of how this, we are using this information. We've already been using this information for a while in our breeding program to release new cultivars. Just to give you an example, I mean, that one in top there is one cultivar that we released in 2020, you know, called Colossus. In the same study, probably I should mention that, all of these are cultivated varieties, right? And they're available in the market. All of them have the minimum characteristics for being in the market. And in this case, you know, size did not make a difference for the consumers. Bloom, that, you know, you guys come to me usually and says, we need the fruit to have bloom, large fruit with bloom. In reality, it didn't matter neither. All these cultivars, they have different bloom, and it didn't matter much for the, for the consumers. Even so, some consumers believe that the bloom is dust, or it's chemical residues, actually, which is worse. How do we use this information? Well, we use all this information to compare among cultivars and to try to find out, you know, which chemical compounds are important. 
All this information, we as a public institution, we release all this information to the public to be used because we want the industry to go up in terms of quality, better flavor. Additionally, we release cultivars or program release cultivars. They are licensed across the whole globe. And we develop tools so other plant breeders can do what we are doing. We're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. It's finally spring. And for a lot of blueberry growers, you're either in peak season or gearing up for it in the next few months. That means it's time to show your stuff. Whether you're a UPIC farm or not, peak season on the farm is the best time to give consumers an experience. For UPIC, yes, get people to your farm and let them see, touch, and taste the fruit right off the bush. But even if you can't invite consumers directly to the farm, there are other ways to let them in on the experience. Because trust me, there's nothing like a consumer seeing the fruit on the bush for the first time. I know because I had that experience just almost one year ago, and it was amazing. The beautiful plump fruit in the colors of light green, pink to mature blue. Absolutely stunning, and people loved my photos. Because just seeing it makes you want to go out and grab a boost of blue. So give them the experience in whatever way you can. Feature all you can on social media, on your website, or your e-newsletter. Feature close-up photos. Video of the bushes swaying in a light breeze at sunrise or sunset. Spotlight your most knowledgeable but approachable company spokesperson talking about what it's like on the farm during picking. People love to be educated. Remember, an educated consumer is a loyal consumer. Engage people on social media. Ask questions like, what's your favorite childhood memory of blueberries? Or, how do you love blueberries, by the handful or in a recipe? Better yet, ask them to post on their own social media about why they love blueberries and tag you. Perhaps those that do could be entered for a chance to win a private tour of your farm. It's up to you. Also, be sure to utilize peak season to engage the media. Invite reporters out to the farm for a behind-the-scenes tour so they can share the experience with their readers or viewers. The key? Show off your farm in the way that makes the most sense for you. Whether in person or through social media and beyond, the key is to not let it be your best-kept secret. Show your stuff. It'll pay off. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now, at this point in this episode, I usually like to provide some closing comments summarizing the episode and trying to tie it all together. But actually, I don't think I could sum it up any better than Gonzalo did on the panel. So I'll send it back to him instead. And I think what kind of as a final reflection, I would say that like, what helped us to get here might not be what we need to get where we want to be. We're in a different situation. I mean, where we were as an industry five years ago. And, and we have a huge opportunity in, in our hands into being the, the number one berry category and number one revenue item within the retail floor. And uh, our decisions are going, to, are going to make us closer or, or farther of, of achieving that objective. Well, that's it for episode 92. Thanks again to everyone who attended and contributed to the spring meetings this year. I think this was a huge success and I'm so looking forward to seeing everyone in our fall meetings uh, there in Nashville. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week for more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on The Business of Blueberries. You buy the clamshell and you don't know what you expect.
by. You only know that these are blue things that you're going to put in your mouth. The experience that you're going to have is, is a gamble. Yeah. And then that's what everybody tells me. And they blame me, actually. have nothing to do with that. Uh, it's you know, all my friends call me, oh, look, at they send me photos. These are very bad. It's like, what have to what? do with those? We don't even produce those or, or generate those. 